What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. All right, guys, hammering it home. This spring, there's a lot of awesome stuff coming up. Headed into the summer as well. Last chance broadhead shoot with West Coast Archery. May 15th through the 17th. And also coming up June 13th in Reno is the Dead Eye Golf Tournament. For more information and more details, check them both out on Instagram. I'm sure you'll have no problem finding their accounts. Also get ready, Yeti Total Archery Challenge. It's going to be a blast. Hope to see everyone there. Thanks. So is this your first one with the big batteries on? Yes. Oh, dude. It's dude. not even... Night and day. Cold? Even cold, dude. I don't... Yeah. Like, my A7 II batteries, when it uh-huh. was cold, I could... They would literally go down. Like, I was, I would watch them every, like, 15 seconds. The battery was just, like... I, I would like, leave my batteries in my backpack wrapped, wrapped in wool socks. With hand warmers. To try and, like, keep them insulated and warm. And then I'd take out a battery that had been charged for six days and put it in, and it's at like 45%. It's like, Never even plugged in. And the... Uh, the new ones? The R7. You shouldn't have that problem. Dude, the R7, I used the same battery for three days. And when I was finally like, I should switch it out, it was at 45%. And it was... it. The temperature didn't go above 30 once. Mm-hmm. I put in the newest battery. But you just got the... What did you get? The, the R4. R- R4? Yeah. For Badass camera. Yeah. Super sick. It's like my R3. Uh-huh. But just everything's just a little better. Notched up. Video quality. Still films in the same, but... I feel a higher res that's downgraded to a 4K because yeah. now I think a lot of them are like 6K sensors, uh-huh. but it records into 4K, so it's compressing that 6K into a 4K, so it's a higher, yeah, it's a higher res 4K, and then yours is like 20 megapixels more. Is it 60 megapixel? 60 something. Fucking hell, dude. Dude, that is the dude, image. Okay, what is this? What did I see in the ad that there's like a fucking 10 photo burst in it? Combines the images into like well, a two hundred yeah. megapixel. So what is, what is that? I haven't even messed with it yet. I haven't I, I haven't used the camera enough to actually two hundred s- megapixel photo. sit down because like you can image bracket with yours, right? Probably I yeah. haven't done it, but because there's like I was doing that because I know with the sixty five hundred I can image bracket. You know where it'll take. 10 photos and then combine them all so you can get like uh, I, I liked to do it when people were hiking out so you get a focal point on the person while they're hiking but their feet will be blurred out and moving yeah. you know and, and all kinds of stuff like that that's how I like to use it you know you get more action but a serious focal point as well super crisp uh Cameras I haven't are, I haven't used the bracketing on it yet. Cameras are crazy. I know that the images are 120 gigabytes huh. in raw form. Mine are 
85. So. Well, so I'm going. Maybe 90. I'm going from 25 gigabytes on my 6500. Oh, your raw images, photo editing. Yeah, get in, get that new light, Lightroom. Yeah. But. Well, that was pretty neat to even see. That. No, it's way different because the same thing. One of the PH in Africa, mm-hmm. he brought his laptop and had Lightroom, and he was editing, and I'm like. I was watching him and I was like, what the fuck? He's like, oh, I got Lightroom. And I'm like, I'm like, because what you're using is Lightroom yeah, I was, Classic. Yeah, I was like, what the hell? I was like, that looks nothing like mine. And then I looked down at his app and I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, dude, this is the Lightroom like cloud storage, which you can edit on it still and tweak stuff. Yeah. But it's not like as in depth. Like my editing bracket on the side, like that. That one on yours probably just like fucking color, brightness, contrast, whatnot. And this one goes like way fucking the depth of it. You know what I mean? Like you can get. Well, they, it, it, they're set and up you completely can, different as far as like. And you can upload, you can have all your presets and your custom presets. You know what I mean? There's just more you can do. Yeah. Do you use presets a lot? Um, I, I have basic. I've got quite a few in there that I've bought, but. Usually I just use them as a base and I've got different ones that I've named certain things like I've got presets that when it's super bright in the middle of the day and photos are kind of blown out, I've got a preset called blown out that when I get to that photo, I'll just drag that on it because I know it's going to do like basically what I want to do. And I've got presets for night photos that I know I'm going to get this super dark photo and everything I want to do, like it's going to put, you know, the shadows all the way up. It's going to increase the whites to make the stars pop you know what i mean just like so kind of just my like there's really probably like five that i use Mm -hmm. and then there's another one the one i use the one i use the most that you were definitely i probably already told you this um so when your raw photos come on they're kind of milky like they're kind of soft and just because they're raw but um there's a sony preset that stephen drake and a couple of his buddies made and on Stephen Drake's YouTube mm-hmm. um, you can see uh, if you just scroll down it'll be Sony raw preset and he goes exactly through he teaches you how to build a preset mm-hmm. which is essentially you can just like tweak all your different adjustments and then there's a button where you can hit save preset and it'll save it inside but he shows you what him and his buddies came up with are the best settings to put onto raw Sony photos and so it shows you how to build it and it's like a great base yeah like the photo's okay and then you drop you can even import all the photos with that already on there and they come out just looking like a sharp jpeg essentially you know what i mean but way more high res and then from there then you tweak it how you want huh yeah i'll have to look at that yeah just watch this video it's really interesting and and it's it's on his youtube channel yeah and it's easy you follow the steps it'll take you three minutes Everything takes Five minutes. time, and, then, and that's not even that much. Time. And then it's and then it's just there forever. And then when yeah. you're importing the photos, you can click add preset, and it'll just import them all with that on there. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, you can't beat that. Yeah, but I mean, just YouTube, Lightroom, shit. It's Maybe so funny, teach you. and and I mean, you've been on the podcast three times, two times, three times with Anthony. This is our first time. Getting to sit down and, and rap together. Do you have this thing on? Oh, yeah. We've been recording this whole time. <laughs> I had no idea we were recording. That's the point. I was literally about to tell you. I was going to be like, 
Dude, you should probably start this. Oh, no, it's already started. We're, t- we're, t- <laughs> uh, like, we're talking about stuff that, I don't know, people might want to know. Right? Right? Yeah. And for you and, and anybody who's listened and listened to your prior podcasts, they already know your story. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, tell me about your life growing up and how you got involved and, and developed and the whole deal, you know. And, and to me, I kind of like it having you come back, you know, and, and getting to get like the Dallas update and what's going on with yeah. life, you know, like this year, you, you, you had another phenomenal year in continuing to grow what you're doing. Yeah. It was a, it was a crazy year and a lot of new stuff too. I mean, started out, started out the year in Pakistan. Mm-hmm hunting probably you know the pinnacle of capra goat species the markhor which was cool that was there was some drama involved like and transit coming back to the united states didn't yeah something happened with the photos um yeah there was a little bit of drama well the crazy thing about that hunt is first off probably three years ago i didn't even know what a markhor was i mean or that you could hunt it yeah, and so it's essentially the best way to describe it is um, it's kind of like an ibex size goat with almost instead of the typical like sweeping ibex horns, um, similar texture but they spiral like a kudu. Yeah. So it's almost like an ibex with kudu horns. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's but a, way bigger than kudu horns. Yeah, bigger. Well, there's different. There's three different species. Um, we were hunting the Kashmir markhor mm-hmm. in the Hindu Kush mountains in <laughs> Pakistan. Uh huh. And yeah, it was wild. We were hunting with uh, Pure Donish with Indus Safaris, and I was hunting with Brian Harlan, a buddy of mine out in Texas. Mm-hmm. And I think this year, I was actually just talking to him yesterday, he's going to finish his super, Capra Super 30. So 30. He's on his 30. Yeah, so this year he should finish. He's got a bunch of crazy hunts. He's going to Turkey and Azerbaijan and all over the place. But So he'll have 30 different species of goats from all over the world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've just, pretty... I just had a GSCO, Grand Slam Club Ovis, in Vegas two weeks ago. Getting to watch people go up and get their Super 30 or Super 40 yeah that's crazy it's crazy and i mean some guys i mean it's it's cool i mean honestly some of the guys are about the awards but a lot of the guys it's honestly just a way to see new places Mm -hmm. you know what i mean they've got you know they can they can look at all these different destinations and the different goats all over the world and it's almost just kind of a way for them to see it all and continue Ex- to continue to enlarge their hunting resume yep. and seeing and adventuring all over the place. Yeah. The goat hunting, goat and sheep hunting, it's awesome. What was it like in Pakistan? Do you guys have like armed security when um, you're going around, or yeah, we do. Did. You, do you ever encounter Taliban? Or we uh, we did, but it wasn't. Hmm. You're I don't all, know. Uh, I have to figure out how to say this. Well, um, Donish's family is all kind of 
in the government over there. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I believe Donish is kind of like the governor mayor over his city and his, and a lot of his, I think his, his father and his brothers are also um, in the government over there. And so part of that is they have like a security team. And from, from talking to Donish, his team had been with him for like over 20 years, I think. So, I mean, they oh, were really? honestly his like detail. family. Yeah, his detail, they're just, they're with him all the time. So um, when clients come in to hunt, um, the detail was just with us the whole time. So, mm-hmm. I mean... And are they packing? Are that, they carrying yeah, AK-47s? Yeah. Or? So not that, I mean, never had one scary experience while I was there. Yeah. Super mellow. The people were all super nice. Didn't have any problems in the city. Did not need them, but we did have them. You know what I mean? And, and you might have not and, needed them because you had them. Exactly. And so we always, yeah, so everywhere we went. But I mean... For 80% of the time, we were deep in the mountains. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we weren't really around a ton of people um, yeah. besides when we were in you know, some of the major cities. But beyond that, I mean, we had a great time. The hunting was incredible. Yeah. We started off um, with the Markor. And the cool thing about that is there was actually... Uh, We were on them pretty quick because with the permit, 50% of the permit cost um, goes to the local village that Mm -hmm. finds the Markor. And what the reason behind that and kind of the what's so cool about the success story there is that's essentially what has brought these Markor back is it's such a large amount of money to these rural communities. Yeah. And so instead of them just, you know, before, I mean, they needed meat to survive. And so if a markor was down on the lower third of the mountain or they saw a markor when they were out herding their goats or sheep, they, they would shoot. I mean, they would yeah. shoot it. It had the only the only value that had to them was for the meat. And over the years, it had almost decimated the population. But since... Well, putting a price tag and a cash value on an animal like that in, in U.S. dollars or whatever kind of dollars, you know, and you're looking at a hundred or $200,000 going into their pocket, for them to create a sustainable wildlife policy for that is almost imperative to yep. the future of their existence. And so the population of the Markor went from, I think I looked it up um, right after the trip, and Donish had told us too, but I mean, it was down in the hundreds to now it's well into the thousands. Really? And um, I think for the cashmere, I think, and what makes the hunt so expensive is the population is climbing, but it's not getting, it's not getting overhunted. So I think, you know, there's possibly three permits a year. Yeah. You know what I mean? So low permits, high cost, but all the surrounding villages are protecting these animals and watching out for them year round and making sure there's no poaching scouting you know what i mean looking for looking for the next big one for the next year because when we got brian's markor and went down um to the village for you know we had like a set the village had like a celebration for us after the hunt and uh you know the governor of that town told us that uh they were going to build a hospital with the money yeah so, I mean, super cool. He was essentially like, you know, this is life-changing for us. We're a four-hour 
drive or six hour bus ride from the nearest town you know from the nearest hospital like when something happens it's even small things are life-threatening and now we're going to be able to with this money he said we're going to build a hospital so our village you know yeah has basic medical needs right which is, which is awesome all through hunting it's hunting kind of, hunting dollars you know what i mean no one else is doing stuff like that well it kind of i mean it happens in africa a bunch which is a pretty good way for other countries and other places to kind of get a good example of the benefits that can be brought into their communities yeah you know what i mean yeah no and in tanzania i mean it really because you go down there as well yeah i mean you so get down all i'm in the tanzania planet, so. a couple months a year and it's the same thing there a lot of people tanzania is one of you know it's one of the last places in Africa where people are still doing, you know, the true old school 21 day safaris. I mean, that's a long time to hunt for, but, you know, cat hunting for 21 days, you know, the getting there, the baiting process, everything that goes into that. And it's expensive. And a lot of people are, you know, all it's still wild Africa. And a lot of people are like, why is it so expensive? And the, yeah. re the reason Tanzania is so expensive is for one, um, government trophy fees are a lot. And number two, it's all wild Africa. And the only thing out and surrounding these areas is poor villages that are looking for meat. And so the only way to keep these areas protected is to have full-time anti-poaching teams, which the area we go, I believe there's two different anti-poaching camps that are patrolling year-round for fishing poachers, wood-cutting poachers, and really? meat poachers, and ivory, I didn't know that ivory they, poachers. I didn't even know that there was like an extent to fishing and yep. wood-cutting. Yep. And so they've got teams patrolling all year and the cost of that per year um, and occasionally they'll bring in a helicopter to do aerial, you know, surveys and whatnot. But I mean, I think it's a minimum of $250,000 a year. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? $300,000 yeah. a year. And that's just one of their nine areas. That's crazy. And... The only, what is paying for that anti-poaching and protecting the land and protecting the animals is hunters. If they stop through the hunting dollars is how all of that is being paid for. So remove the hunters out of that area. Mm -hmm. Anti-poaching teams are gone. Local villages, why would they protect the wildlife? There's no value. You know what I mean? They're just there local villages and people move into the area and take what they need right you know what i mean and that's essentially you know what's happened over there with the elephants and stuff you know in a lot of in a lot of areas across africa is the price of the ivory went up and and now is that influenced by black market purchasing of ivory or is that just 
in general making ivory because it's rare. Um, Not making it, but they actually they busted they busted one of the the biggest rings over there. That almost kind of everything was funneling through. I think it was a couple years ago that was like the biggest one. Really? Um, yeah, black market definitely, but just. It's hard, you know, it's hard to show for people to realize the value mm-hmm. in these super poor places, mm-hmm. you know, when they can see life-changing money. Off the black market. Off the black market. And poaching and stuff. And yeah. I mean, the penalty, the penalty there, I'm, well, pretty, I'm pretty sure the penalty for ivory, uh-huh. if you get caught with ivory. Is it death? Um, death or life in prison. Which life in prison there is probably worse. It's probably pretty worse than it's, death. It's not a it's not a place you want to. I wouldn't want to spend I mean, you'll, 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 prison you'll, out there. I'm sure you'll die of disease. You know what I mean? And who something. knows what else? Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's they take it. The penalties there are super serious. We uh, we caught a poacher this last time we were there um, that was snaring down in the river, and we think there were four of them. We only caught up with one of them, and um, I was kind of, I was there when they were doing some interrogating, you know, and I was just asking Lauren to translate and whatnot, and uh, we found a bag, and he had, uh, he was taking meat, but he had the meat from over 20 bush bucks and bush pigs that he had, they'd snared. They set up hundreds of snares along the river. Really? And then just check their snares. They've got, you know, knives and spears. Yeah. And when they catch something... Stab it, take the meat, dry the meat out, and they've got these big bags full of meat that they take back and sell in the villages. Yeah. But in one of the bags, we found a leopard skull and leopard claws. Really? From a leopard they had caught in the snare. No way. And which that takes it to a whole nother level. You know what I mean? Having, you know, there's a range of animals that are considered um, like the upper tier animals you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. the elephants and the lions and the leopard and rhinos yeah you know what i mean are hippos a top tier animal or are they not um yeah yeah i don't i don't know anything about african but um especially you know especially the cats Mm -hmm. and i asked him you know what what's gonna what would happen to that guy and um the game scout uh, that was on our that was on our truck said there's a good chance that he'll go to prison for 15 20 years yeah you i know mean what i mean which i've talked to guys serious. i've talked to guys that they've encountered poachers when they're on whatever ranch that they're hunting mm-hmm. and it just turns into a, a firefight you know poachers oh. firing at them them firing yeah. at poachers people no, dying I mean, and getting I mean, shot they, i've never i've never i haven't ever been around it but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times down there, if they encounter someone armed, it's a bad situation. Yeah. Like, there's no... I don't think it's usually a cordial encounter. No. Because the poacher knows they're going to probably die. Yeah, well, they... I mean, they know it's... They're going to get shot or they're going to spend life in prison. So, obviously... Yeah. To fight to They're going to try and get away. Yeah. Defend themselves by any means necessary. So, anyways, back with the Marcor. <clears throat> and... Uh, maybe I'm being mistaken, but I swear didn't like there was some sort of national press um, that happened off of that hunt. Yeah, that, that you were on. That was 
That was interesting. So the because it was your photo that was yeah, being so displayed the, all over the, the place. The local, <laughs> the local news come came in because obviously, I mean, it's a it's a huge deal. You yeah. know what I mean? When that kind of money gets brought into, you know, such yeah. a such a poor area. I mean, it's it's a it's a huge deal. And so, um, Donish asked. He said, you know, would you do a would you do an interview with the local news? And Brian was like, yeah, why not? I mean, I've had a great time. You know, it's a great place. I think he's been to Pakistan a few times. Mm-hmm. Loves it. And so he did his local interview and just kind of, you know, thanked the thanked the guides and thanked the local communities, you know what I mean, for, how, for all the help they gave us during the hunt and, you know, for what a great experience we had. And then after they asked if I had any, like, little video any pictures or a little video clip and i was like yeah and i I talked to brian and donish and they're like they're like yeah that's fine you know edit them a 15 second clip of our trip and so i just did a little highlight reel of you know driving through the hindu kush mountains some live footage of the markors up you know the hiking the shot and the recovery and you know brian thanking everyone and just a quick little clip sent it to the news guy and next thing we know, we're getting calls from back in the States that like five major news channels have picked up this video clip, have picked up this video clip of this rare animal being hunted in Pakistan. It's almost extinct animal. Not telling the story behind the conservation efforts. No, that, no. Just that are entangled just, with hunting the just, animal saying essentially the price tag that they had heard that this animal cost, this mm-hmm. rare species in outer Pakistan, these Americans that are over in Pakistan hunting. Mm-hmm. So, less than ideal. We were... Did you encounter fog- any blowback coming into the United States? No, I didn't. From that? No. Um, no, I didn't encounter anything. Um, Brian obviously has some businesses and partners and it caused some conflicts for him you know what i mean just being spread name being attached yeah that's like the dentist that hunted the lion yep and it's a bummer because it's such a cool i mean the markors one of like the greatest conservation stories through hunting Mm -hmm. that no one knows about you know what i mean it's just unless you're Unless you're deeply in, involved, yeah. Unless you're deeply involved or in that and circle, and chasing or, your super thirty, or yeah, what? or know someone who's you know traveling to these super remote places, and there's very few that are going to Pakistan, let alone to hunt. You know what I mean? It's there's just so few permits. I mean, there's only three a year, so your odds of knowing someone who's hunted one almost zero. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just funny what the media chooses to sell the story as you know what i mean like let's talk about the price tag and the location rather than everything that like the success story of these markors and what hunting has done and where this population is now and you know the story of the village and the hospital that's getting built and let alone all the things that have been done been done in you know the last few years you know what i mean from other permit holders and yeah all the good that's come from it, but that's it. That is what it is. So, but that's hunting. That's how it's been for hunting for us as hunters. We are the most underappreciated conservationists, creating funding for saving animal species from birds to sheep to goats to deer to elk, 
across the planet, but none of the people, none of the anti-hunters want to give us the credit for it. That is true. You know what I mean? That is true. It's it's interesting. When I mean, when you're immersed in the world of hunting every day, I mean, you you know the stories, you hear all the stories, you see what's going on, the different projects, you know, mm-hmm. the projects you're involved in every year, you know what I mean? Different opportunities that come up. We're doing a sheep transplant here. Yeah. We're going to go collar some animals out here. All these different things. But, yeah, I definitely think... I definitely think those stories are getting told more now. Mm-hmm. And... Via social media. Yeah, yeah. And, in a way, yeah. and in a way that, you know, portrays it for what it is. Mm-hmm. And all the good that it's doing. Um, but... I do agree that it's a serious uphill battle. For sure. Were you nervous at all coming back into the States? Trying to like... Did you know if your name was going to get entangled with it and um, maybe you were going to deal with problems through customs or, you know, coming home to your wife and your kids? No. I mean, everyone else was everyone else was more concerned yeah. than I was. I mean, Tori's mom had seen it on the news and a lot of Brian's <laughs> friends. I mean, it was I think it was in the Dallas, I think it was in the Dallas Tribune. Really? Um, but the thing was, I wasn't in any of the shots. You know what I mean? I was behind the camera, so it wasn't. Usually, the guy behind really, the camera doesn't always get a ton of yeah, recognition. It wasn't about really. It. it wasn't really tied. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't. Brian and Donish were obviously affected a lot more than I was because yeah. they were in, you know, the photos and the video that I was. You taking, were just the document. Whereas I was just the one behind the camera. Yeah. But. Played its, it took its course. Yeah, and everything, you know. Yeah, everything was fine. It was, I mean, I just remember seeing the pictures, and I, because I talked to you before you left for the hunt, we were talking a bunch. You're like, oh, this is going to be so insane. I can't believe I'm going on this. And then all of a sudden, like you sent me some pictures, and then all of a sudden, I'm seeing the same images that you're sending, showing up in the news, and I'm like, holy shit, this is crazy. It was wild. Well, I, I think probably the eeriest thing that had us just a little bit nervous is um, we were in uh, Gilgit, Pakistan. Mm-hmm. If you look that up online, you can see where we were. And I don't know. I mean, it's got to be one of the more dangerous runways in the world. And you I know, feel like Jason Price you know, was telling you me know about how much Gilgit. I love you know how much I love planes. And so yeah. it's just this <laughs> massive canyon where to get out of it, the plane actually has to circle. But I feel like it barely has enough room to circle in this canyon. But the way the canyon is, it gets super foggy down low. Mm-hmm. And so you can only you can only fly in when it's clear. So you know there's only one flight a day. So in the morning, if, you know, at 8 a.m., the fog's clear, then they give you the okay to make the flight. And if not, then you got to wait till the next day. And so after we shot the Mark Corps, um, honestly, I can't even remember how many days, but we were stuck in Gilgit with this circulating around the news. I think for eight days, we couldn't fly out. 
and we couldn't drive out because there were so many rock slides on the highway that a lot of people were getting trapped. You know, they'd have a rock slide happen in front of them and a rock slide behind them. And then you were just at the mercy of whenever a tractor or people come smash these rocks, you know what I mean? And so the, and that's a 20 hour drive. And so that's, you didn't want to. So we were essentially the Americans on worldwide news and we were tra- trapped in Pakistan. When we were just stuck in this little village in yeah. Pakistan, which everything was fine. But when everyone back home is like, you guys, freaking out, you guys are all over the news <laughs> and we can't go anywhere. Yeah. Like it wasn't like, all right, we're done with the hunt. Like, let's start making our journey back home or to the next area. It was like, you're stranded in Gilgit. We just were there in our hotel for days and days and days and days. That was. It could have been what's best, though, because, like, say, say if you guys had made it home within 24 hours of everything circulating in the news, yeah. it still would have been fresh and relevant for people to come and yeah. a- attack you. But because it took eight days to get out of there and our news cycle is 24 hours, it had already cycled through. Yeah. And, you know? Yeah, no, that is true. Been done. But um, it was good. We got out. We still had a few extra days, so we went and hunted Sindibex in just kind of like a desert desert area still some pretty good sized mountains and that was a super cool hunt they actually did a essentially a deer drive mm-hmm. with these ibex and really? there were probably i can't remember how many guys exactly but let's just say 10 guys and we hiked up to this rock ground blind overlooking this you know like 500 foot rock face and we were sitting in the blind and then kind of right as the sun started coming up we could see just guys on the ridgeline and they started rolling rocks off the ridgeline and I still wasn't and Donish was like they're gonna you know they're gonna push the ibex all the ibex are gonna run onto this 500 foot cliff right in front of us open face yeah and I was like really they're just gonna run like they're gonna this is the pinch point this vertical cliff and sure enough not I mean these guys don't have any radios or anything sure enough they all knew where to go they knew what to do you know 30 45 minutes later all of a sudden about 500 Sind Ibex come around the corner and are just running and jumping on this literally vertical face isn't it insane how they can do that it was the coolest thing and then it's did you get to any video of that? Oh, yeah. You'll awesome, have to show me after awesome this video. podcast. And so then, so they're all coming through, and then it's trying to pick out the biggest one and get everyone on it. Donish has got to find it. Then he's got to convey to Brian, who's you know looking through a 10-power scope, mm-hmm. where it is, it is in the middle in of the 500. Of all these other Ibex. And he did, he did a great job. Um, Brian ended up shooting the second biggest Ibex, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, which was still a super nice Ibex. Yeah. And what's the difference between a, what kind of Ibex did you say it this was? This was a Sind. So, so what's the difference between like a Sind and a Mid-Asian? Um, I mean, Mid-Asian is like, that's my bucket list, one of my dream ones um, for Mid-Asian a Ibex. A lot smaller. Uh-huh. Um, the Sind actually looks a li- just like a Bezor Ibex. Mm-hmm. 
from like Turkey. Yeah, yeah. Or say that's the same kind of ibex for people who have seen the ibex in New Mexico on the mm-hmm. Florida mountains. And so it's kind of that light white colored. Um, these ones were probably just more like dusty, you know what I mean, from living in the desert. But that like light white colored with that black stripe across the front shoulder mm-hmm. and then kind of a black face. And then they've got just those really pretty pretty horns but smaller than the bezoar you know what i mean they were almost it was almost like a if the bezoar you're relating it to a white tail these were like the syndibex would be like the coos yeah Yeah. you know what i mean just a smaller and um yeah super cool hunt so we went there that was a crazy experience Uh you know what i mean like sitting in a ground blind in at the base of these cliffs and then they just knew this was the pinch point you know what i mean from years of hunting these things and like a script these things come busting around and i mean they were all moving i mean it was it was tricky if we wouldn't have got one then i have no idea what we would have done next because i'm sure those ibex just disappear forever keep going Um, but yeah it was awesome and then we went to donish's um place down in the valley right on uh, i believe the indus river and did some boar hunting down I think you showed me some videos yeah, of that. It, was a, it was super it was super cool so yeah it was a fun trip that's awesome man and then yeah after that went and did New Zealand again mm-hmm. had some great hunting over there and you spend like how many days a year in New Zealand um I'd say probably average about a month about the year the last yeah. the last few years Okay. Yep, New Zealand was awesome as usual, and then moved into Africa. Mm-hmm. And you're spending more time in Africa. Yep. So I'm spending about two months a year in Tanzania. Mm-hmm. And now is that collective or just straight through? No. Nope. So or do you usually, go for like three weeks, come back? For... So we do. So essentially, we do two 21 day safaris. Uh huh. And so. For the last few years, we've done a safari in August, and then we do another safari the end of October to mid-November. Really? Yep. And so the first safari, it's uh, winter there, so it's actually really nice, cool in the mornings. You know, wearing a jacket, and then a little warm up in the middle of the day, and then that second safari in October, end of October, November. Is when it starts getting the summer hot. Months. Yeah. Like it for is them. scorching hot. Like most people aren't hunting down there that time of year but it's just different so but we you go are. hunt it in the winter and we hunt it in the summer and yeah it's good I mean, it's they both have their challenges because um you know the first hunt in the winter you can i mean a lot of times you're dealing with some seriously tall grass yeah you know what i mean and you're burning and trying to manage those areas for regrowth and whatnot Whereas when you go in the summer, sometimes it's just bone dry. You know what I mean? It's almost really? crazy. But luckily, we're um, we're right there next to a really big lake. So, I mean, there is you know what I mean. There is water. I mean, the lake the lake's never going to dry out. Yeah. But yeah, Africa. Africa's awesome. It's just cool being able to hunt different animals yeah. every day. You know what I mean? It's always someone something new. You know. You're baiting and from baboons to leopards to yep, to, lions, to elephants to whatever. Yeah, I mean, we've never 
we've never seen a mature bull. I mean, we this uh, this past year down by the lake, um, I got to film one of the coolest things ever. We came across a herd of over a hundred elephants. No you know what I mean? Which it's not something elephants are smart. It's not something that you see a whole lot nowadays. I mean the the pressure from poaching has been so bad, you know, the last five to ten years that a lot of elephants have just I mean, a lot of times they'll just move at night and they're just really elusive. You know what I mean? They're such a big animal, but they they know, like they know there's a target on their back and You'd almost find it hard to believe that an elephant could be elusive. Oh my gosh. But it is. I mean, yeah, I've spent yeah, I've almost spent a year of my life there, and I've never seen a big elephant. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, lots of, you know, 30, 40-pound bulls, you know what I mean? But still, those are young bulls, you know. And the big bulls have just really been smashed. Yeah. But they're starting to come back, and I have kind of seen that from the first year that the Ramones got it back. Um they lost the area for a while and acquired it again. And when they required, when they acquired it again, um, the people that took it from them in the first place lost it because they did a horrible job managing it. But it was a money thing. They bought it out from under them, mm-hmm. from the government, because the government owns everything. Mm-hmm. You get long-term leases, but you don't own anything. Really? Which is tough. For these outfitters, when they're putting in so much money and time into anti-poaching and, and everything, and just like that, the, the gov- government, the government can, can come in and take it from you. But they do it because that's what they're passionate about. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's more, it's more than money to these guys. Mm-hmm. Like they, it's their legacy. Well, and they're their doing their own conservation. Yeah. Essentially. Oh, I mean, it's. The government's doing, they're not funding any of this. Yeah. It is all essentially privately funded by hunters. Yeah. By their clients. Yeah. I mean, their clients that are coming in, they are the ones protecting the wildlife. The Ramones are there on the ground coordinating it all. You know what I mean? Like, they're the ones that make it happen, but their clients are the ones that fund it all. Yeah. You know? And the, and the Ramones themselves. You know what I mean? I know... You know, I know every year. I'm sure they spend, you know, so much money to so much money just putting it back in. I mean, they don't. They're just being around them for the amount of time I have. They don't cut corners. If something needs to be done, Raul will pay for it out of his own pocket. You know what I mean? If they'll do it, if if an area is getting hard, and you know the anti-poaching team is, you know on poachers every day feeling a lot of pressure and they're like we need you know we need more people like we can't keep up with it you know Raul will call in another car and pay for another vehicle and pay for more teams to go in and do what needs to be done Mm -hmm. and it's been cool over the last four years to really I watched this area when we first went in there along the lake there were hundreds of fishing camps of villagers that came in and were just overfishing the lake Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and the thing is the fishing is a gateway they come in and they're fishing on the shore and they're catching fish and then they and then one day they see some puku or an impala and 
one of the guys puts a snare out and catches one and then they got meat and then they're selling the they're selling the fish well we could probably get even more money if we take some meat back you know what i mean and so it's just a cycle that goes on so it's like we can't we can't let we can't let the illegal fishing happen because the illegal fishing is turning into illegal hunting Mm -hmm. and so i saw when it was at its worst you know we were the first um people to be in there when they got it back and, and really try to turn it around. Yeah, and then it's crazy what's happened the last four years to go from. Watch know, it I've got pictures up. of hundreds of camps along the lake and just boats, you know, out. You know, take a picture of the lake and you see fifty fishing boats and people out in a crock infested water. That's fishing. so insane. And then now, you know, we'll go do a we'll go do a flyover in the chopper and won't see anyone. You see a couple boats. Yeah. And radio anti-poaching team and and now there's even an anti-poaching team on the lake really with the they've got a boat you know what i mean so whether it's on land or in the water that's so insane they're on them but it's cool and i mean it goes way further than that i mean this last time we went and did we went to the school and took you know supplies for the kids and the school was built by the ramones and their clients you know what i mean they came in and donated to build classrooms and reestablishing the community and, and that's what they do with the surrounding communities and that's how they show that's how they show them the value that hunters are bringing in you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's not just it's this is why we need to protect these areas because it's benefiting the wildlife it's benefiting you guys you know what i mean it's providing it's providing jobs it's providing schools clean water it's providing schools for your children to get educated you know they deliver the ramones deliver i think 500 all-terrain wheelchairs to the local villages around all their concessions mm-hmm. you know they're all i mean essentially the whole business model it's hunting but everything about it is giving back yeah whereas i think a lot of outsiders especially when they think of africa to them it's taking like well they just think of trophy hunting the hunters are going over to take these beautiful animals out of africa that's what they're seeing when it's actually the exact opposite Mm -hmm. it's the hunters are coming over and look what they're giving back to africa yeah how do you change that message how do you how do you get the people that aren't reporting on that to actually report on that that's the trick you know what i mean that's the million dollar question <laughs> that is the million dollar and question. i mean not just in africa even here stateside yeah yeah i mean africa's 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 easy to talk about you yeah. know what i mean just cuz it's been just lumped into those stereotypes so easily um but yeah i mean the same thing the same thing is happening in the states yeah i mean maybe i mean yeah with poaching a little bit but more so with in a different way you know misrepresentation of what hunters are bringing to the table as far as conservation efforts are concerned yeah you know it's it's that is the that is the topic of the day seriously so how 
how many days do you spend in the field a year? Is it like, are you gone six months? More than six months? Um, Last year was over 180 days. There it is. Last year was, and if anyone's keeping track, she's keeping track. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Last year was the the busiest. Was for it? sure. Um, this year is going to be less. Mm-hmm. It's our. It's on track to be less. It was a little, last year was a little excessive. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, like, and stop me if if this is not a road you want to go down. Is that difficult for you guys spending that much time apart? Yeah. No, it's definitely difficult. I mean, it's. And again, dude, if, if no, you, know, no, no, no. you can this, shut the door on this no, topic. No, this is fine. Second. I mean, people, this is... It's part of the gig, man. Yeah, this is... I mean, it's the stuff... Whether it's, it's guiding or well, doing... It's stuff that people don't realize. Yeah. Is, yeah, when I'm gone, I mean, I would say 90% of my hunts this last year were international hunts. Mm-hmm. So I'm gone, gone. And on top of being gone, it's multiple days of travel on the front end and the back end to get there. And you never know when you're going to be stuck in a town for eight days because no. you can't get a flight I mean, out. They're never, they never end early. Yeah. I mean, trips never end early. They, never. Always, they always go long. And yeah, I mean, it's... Well, and, and these international trips, they're, they're long trips. I mean, it's not like it's a short... Like, a short trip would be 10 days. Like that would be if sh- you're super lucky. That would be short. Yeah. Most of the trips are twenty. I mean, most of the hunts. Yeah. I mean, Africa. Africa hunts are twenty six days. Yeah. New Zealand was way longer than that, and I mean these two week hunts. Yeah, they're a two week hunt, but then they've got two days of travel on each end. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and eighteen the- day eighteen day hunts and. Yeah. The reason why I bring it up and the, and the reason why I kind of want to open the door on this topic is like a lot of people don't realize the self-sacrifice that goes into having this sort of a lifestyle, you know, for the for the family because that's like that's a huge part that that kind of gets missed, you yeah. know. That, I mean, definitely for all the tens of thousands of people who see this stuff on social media. Yeah. I mean, they're all they're seeing is the highlight reel. Yeah. Um, they're not seeing all the travel days and they're not seeing time away from kids. They're not seeing time away from your spouse, missing birthdays and anniversaries. And they're not seeing, you know, family gatherings and family trips where family reunions where they're the only ones not there and I'm, I mean don't get me wrong I love my job like yeah I love documenting hunts I love film I love photography I love to me it's me giving a gift to the client you know what I mean like I'm mm-hmm. capturing those memories forever I'm curating memories and giving them to them in a tangible form so they mm-hmm. can relive them and their kids can relive them forever and well in a, in a sense i mean photographers and and you know people that kind of do what you like to do what i like to do you know in recording and sitting down and conversating with people you know and you filming and and photographing you know epic events in people's lives and lifetime hunt experiences mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff like 
it's being an archivist, you know, because like back in the day, there were archives, you know, and there were, there were scribers, there were people who were, they would just write it. And that was their job because they were the only people that knew how to write. Yeah. Right. So now it's, it's, it's evolved into a different style of documenting than it used to be. And the crazy thing is as well as, I mean, it's hard to say, but I mean, this could be the last decade of Africa. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like at the way things have changed, I mean, it's not, it's not going uphill. Yeah. Like the hunting is, it's getting more and more difficult mm-hmm. in all of these places. You know what I mean? There's such a big opposition fighting it that who knows how much longer, you know what I mean? And then what happens if they shut it down? Then what happens? Oh, it's. It's the the wildlife. First off, is, yeah. it's going to plummet. Yeah, I mean, there's no at the cost. At the cost there is to protect the lands and the wildlife, it, there's no there's no one else that's going to step up to the plate and do it it's to like, ensure it's, habitat well, it's and like, animals. All right, let's say this for let's just say Markwar for example. Do you know a photographer who's going to go who's going to pay $100,000 to go take some pictures of a markhor? No. No, no one's going to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas markhor wildlife safari <laughs> to hunt the one old male that's at the end of its life by killing that one. Mm-hmm. It protects 500 or 1000 others. From the money that comes from it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's... And builds the communities around it. Yeah. But you can very easily twist that story. Into whatever you want it to be. For people that don't know either way... The 95%? They're going to believe what they hear and what the masses say about a lot of this stuff is not... Well, it's not not even the masses, though. It's, It's... Hollywood media that all leans one direction, which is anti-hunting. And when you have major news corporations that are always going to try to lean against, you know, guns and hunting and any of that kind of stuff, mainstream media, they're going to do and what's in their best interest. And their best interest is to prop up whatever the opinion and the agenda is that they're pushing. Here's something interesting that kind of along that point. Um, I'm trying to remember who was saying this the other day. I think it was on a knock-on podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember who he was talking to. Don't think I can remember. But essentially what he was saying, like what you just said, is we all kind of live in our circles. Mm -hmm. And in our the people we interact with and our social media bubbles and our media bubbles, we're all telling each other what we want to hear. Yeah. Whereas it's the same thing for the other bubbles. You know what I mean? And they're all telling each other what they want to hear. The mainstream, they have a big bubble. Mainstream's bubble is, is 
you know what coast I mean? to coast you man. only i mean a lot of people you only know what you're hearing i mean if someone is telling you something and you have no opinion one way or another that's what your mind believes to be fact mm-hmm. you know what i mean unless you're just questioning what you're hearing but if you know nothing about it and mainstream media comes on the tv and said these hunters are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to shoot these endangered animals that's what you're going to believe you don't know I well, mean, that's all you're going to know because they didn't tell you anything else about exactly it. and i think that's one of and the, what they're doing is propping up their constituents i think that's one of the problems with hunters and what we're doing is I think there's a lot of people who are sharing a great message, mm-hmm. but they're sharing the great message within our to, community, within our own circle of people. Yeah, we're not getting it out to anyone else, and we wonder. You know, we're seeing all these awesome projects are going on, all this, all these conservation and the good that's coming from hunting and whatnot. But the only people that are hearing it are the people in our own circle. Well, not only that, and, and do you know what I'm, do you know what I mean? I it's, totally. It's it's, a, it's an interesting way. You go I, to I Pope never, and Young Society, and people do a Pope and Young Society documentary about Pope and Young, and the only people that are seeing it are the fucking people from Pope and Young, and they're all scratching each other's backs. What are What are we doing to get outside of that bubble exactly. and reach new people? Exactly. And I thought that was very interesting, and I think that's why some of the most powerful people in our industry right now are you know the joe rogans and that's why because (laughs) his circle is not hunters at all it's not i mean and they've come in you know what i mean like obviously he's been around long enough now that the hunting community you know knows about him and follows Mm -hmm. him and sees what's going on with him but you know when he speaks about some of this stuff i believe his voice is more powerful it's a fact it's more powerful than all of our voices well he has a podcast that gets if combined if i'm correct which i'm not sure if i'm correct but he gets 90 million downloads a month or or somewhere to that extent on his podcast so when he speaks a lot of people are fucking listening more than people that are watching tv and news at home for sure you know what i mean and so i think that I think that honestly is probably the real question is how do we reach outside our own circles? Yeah. Well, and that's a message. And that's where a lot of people that have been on Joe Rogan stuff that are in the hunting world have benefited greatly because the exposure that Joe is bringing to their message or their brand or, you know, whatever it is that, you know the person their philosophy or ideology yeah you know it's 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 extremely beneficial you know bow hunting you know i mean teaching hunters education every class i teach one of the biggest questions i ask all my students is you know student and i'm talking classes from five people to 75 people at a time how many people are in here to become a bow hunter raise your hand okay keep your hand up if you're in here because you're influenced by Joe Rogan's podcast and Joe Rogan's message about bow hunting. And I'd say that 95% of those people keep their hand up because that's what he's bringing. Right. And in California, everybody that I'm seeing come in, I mean, there's kids. When I was a kid, a a hunter's education course was 80% kids, young, young kids, you know, 15 younger. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I'll see three or four kids in a class of 50 people, and majority of it is 25 to 35-year-old adults not from hunting backgrounds, not from hunting families or anything like that, and they want to get into hunting. And majority of those people are also all from the tech industry. I mean, I live in the Bay Area, but, you know, and that's... It's fascinating. It's weird, man. It's totally weird, and they're all influenced, essentially, by Joe Rogan. You know? He's a powerful figure. The Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> you know, it's like... Yeah. <laughs> JRE, man. No, but I mean, he always he always puts out a real message. Yeah. I mean, it's good, and I love... My favorite thing is I love non, non-hunters' perspectives on hunting mm-hmm. who come from an unbiased background. Yeah. You know what I mean? Joe, I love his... I love the way he portrays hunting and talks about it and his reasons for why. You know what I mean? They're like pure reasons. Jeff Rowley is another one. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to Jeff right when he first got into hunting. You Started know what I mean? getting and into hearing it, yeah. his, his reasonings. And it wasn't even, I don't even think at first it was really hunting. Like just the conservation aspect of it. Yeah. I remember seeing uh, the Wild Sheep film. You yeah. know what I mean? That he did and help fund and putting sheep and that was and that was one of the things he was most most interested you know what i mean is the conservation aspect of it whereas a lot of people you know what i mean that we grow up with like you know hunting what is hunting we go out every year and we shoot shoot a deer yeah you know what i mean and some people are some people are hunting for antlers and some people are like i'm the first two point i see like it's about the meat you know what i mean everyone has their own their own reasons but seeing an older person come into hunting i always love to hear their Mm -hmm. perspectives Mm -hmm. on what it is for them that's drawing them to that whether it's the primitive aspect or the wild game aspect or the concert you know what i mean it's just interesting well and what i find funny these days is we have a lot of people standing on soapboxes preaching about conservation and what needs to get done and they don't do shit (laughs) they do absolutely nothing yeah to improve hunting for future generations or comprehend what needs to be done in order to do that and I like, and I'm going to not go too far onto this tangent because I'll get really, really <laughs> fired up. But it's almost as if people use their their following or their, you know, their platform as a, I'm going to pound on my chest and say that we need to do this for conservation and we need to do that and, you know, all this stuff. And I'm going to fire up my base so they can go do the work that I should be doing. Instead of leading by example, I'm going to do, I'm going to sit back after I fire everybody else up to go do the work for me. Yeah. Dude, that stuff drives me crazy. Crazy. Yeah. You know? No, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Tell me about, have you talked about the sheep transplant you were just a part of? <laughs> no. I haven't talked about it. Uh, honestly, I'd, I mean... I saw a small glitch of it online. I wasn't aware of it. And I mean, that's that's another thing that we were talking about, which I understand it was a different situation. But some of these things, you know, 
yeah locally conservation direct man um i mean i'm not gonna just it was on antelope island in utah yeah sheep from the The rocky boy reservation in montana it was completely company and customer funded um there was no for transparency there was 501c3 uh where the where the funds were being held as far as paying everybody you know and paying the reservation and you know the uh, helicopter company and you know everything like that um but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dive into too much detail. I'll save that for for Brendan to to discuss. I remember talking to him about this. It was probably a few it was probably a few years ago. It's been in the works. It's been in the works it's for been at in least the works two years. For a while. Yeah. Yeah. Cool stuff. I'm sure the first of the first of many. It, what did you think of it all? Because I've done I've done sheep transplants before where they were bringing sheep actually off the Newfies where Tori had her tag because mm-hmm. the sheep were just thriving over there. You know, yeah. there was a few hundred sheep. A surplus sheep. of sheep. And I think they were, we were taking them from the Newfies to Oak Creek. Yeah. And it, was, um, it was... I think that it's probably one of the most amazing things that I've gotten to experience and be a part of in my lifetime. Never in my life did I think that I would be... I've been a, I mean, you've known me for quite some time. So, you know, that like in the last three or four years, my drive for sheep hunting and, and sheep being involved in the sheep world is like skyrocketed. And anybody that has, you know, seen anything I've done or been a part of on social media already knows that, you know, and a goal of mine this year was to put sheep back on the mountain. Um, and I 100% was involved in capturing 55 sheep. Every single Were you in Montana? I was, in, I was 100% from the day, from before it started to... You got to see it all. You were one of the few that got it, to see it all the way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brendan and awesome. I got together in Montana. Um the Thursday before it started and you know it was it was an epic experience that's awesome it was a privilege to be a part of and I can't even put into words um, very cool because what happened on Antelope Island was devastating a travesty I mean the the sheep well the lake dried up and I mean this is speculation did sheep move onto the island you know one one sheep um, <laughs> one sheep speculation crossed the lake bed mm. and went to there was two domestic sheep allotments that's all it takes contracted disease from the domestic sheep allotments crossed the lake bed back and passed on diseases to the entire herd and wiped out the, the population of the entire island. Do you know how many sheep there were on the island? 120 plus, if I remember correctly. That's devastating. Yeah, and they left one ewe alive to see if she would pick up any other sheep. She never did. They killed her off. And there, I think, if I remember correctly, there was no sheep recorded on the island for a year and a half or two years. 
and we released we Kuyu and their and their customers um, released twenty five sheep. I want to say there was two lambs, nineteen ewes, and four rams. Um, the biggest ram being, I think he was three or four years old. He had f- fifteen and six inch bases and thirty inch horns. Uh, he was a big young ram, super beautiful. Kind of be a cranker. A cranker for sure. When that tag goes for sale, um, there was nineteen ewes. Let him breed for. And a while. we're almost positive that all of the ewes were pregnant. Really? Um, so That's in awesome. May, the ewes will drop 19 lambs, hopefully, you know, and hopefully the predators don't I do... hope someone's out there doing some predator control. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what DNR is doing or, you know, and, and I would say the, the most interesting thing about it was the amount of people that show up at the end... To jump in and take all the credit for the hard work of the people that were involved, customers and company, you know, like that, that to me was really astonishing to watch come to a head and, you know, and I mean, you know, I'm not sitting here taking credit for any of it. I got to tag along and be a part of the experience, you know, it was, you know, mind boggling in itself. You know, but epic. That's awesome. Epic. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's all good. What are we doing? All right, bring it into the kitchen. Got two more outside. Dude. He's having a good time collecting rocks. But, uh,. Welcome to the Hanemeyer household. Yeah, that's that's parent life, though. Yeah. Right? Welcome home. You're painting rocks. All right. Get your rocks. Don't slam the door, please. And, uh... Yeah, so anyways... Conservation is super interesting. I hope that I, yeah, we we could all do a better job with that. Yeah, me definitely, including, and yeah. I and myself as I well. Am, yeah, that's the thing, and I could probably. I feel like the biggest thing I can do is, I've yeah, I have in the last few years. I've missed a lot of this local stuff going on. You know, I'm not. Full, I'm not in the loop like I used to be around here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to me, I think... I think the biggest thing I can do is tell these stories mm-hmm. that I'm witnessing and participating in firsthand from these other companies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Tell the story of the Markor. You yeah. know what I mean? That people wouldn't know. And the benefit tell about, that it's bringing. Tell about what I'm seeing firsthand every year in Tanzania. Like, I'm 
with we're meeting up with the anti-poaching teams every day we're anytime we come across you know a human track or whatnot in an area where we're the only people there it gets you know, called we're and reported. Get, it's getting called in it's getting reported anytime we go and fly you know what i mean we're looking for where their eyes you know what i mean in the air if we go do a trip down the river you yeah. know what i mean we're looking for camps if it's in the evening time, you know, we're looking for smoke, you know what I mean, where people are illegally cutting wood. And in the mornings, you know, looking for boats, classing the lake, looking for boats going back across the river so we can try and intercept them. And so, so you said coming to up to this year, you're going to take a little bit more time being stateside. And not out traveling, filming. You're going to yep. try and cut I mean, I will. Bit. Yeah, I'm still going to be traveling internationally. But yeah. You know, definitely f for the family. You know what I mean. Which I don't. I I don't enjoy being away from the family. I mean, yeah. The boys are gonna be five and eight this summer. You know what I mean. They're at fun. I mean, they want to shoot bows. They want to be in the mountains. You know, they're about ready. Taj is about ready to probably go on his first hunt. You know what I mean. Go on yeah. a javelina hunt or whatnot. And, those are things that I want to be around for more. You yeah. know what I mean? And so part of what I've been trying to do is create some new opportunities like the field the plate course that I just yeah put on with Jeremiah in Texas, which was a huge success. Yeah. So we went down You guys got to have me come down and cook some flip-flops while you're doing it. I know. It. I know. The goal is, yeah, I want to I want to do more I want to do more of it this year. Yeah. And it was awesome. I mean, everyone came down. Everyone. Was there a lot of new hunters that were doing it or people uh, that were trying to get in on their there first? There definitely. So there was there was kind of a mixed bag. There was kind, it was kind of a mixed bag. There was definitely um one of uh one of our new buddies, a guy named Tim mm -hmm. um from California. He got into hunting about, you know, 3 or 4 years ago solely for the meat. game meat, yeah. you know what I mean, and providing healthy non GMO. Yep. And so he had hunted. Meat. He'd been hunting in California the past few years. Um, hasn't been able to get a deer, but he. It's hard, he dude. Did, he did. Uh, he he told us he had shot a pig, but yeah. he never shot a deer, and so it's really hard to shoot deer in California. <laughs> his goal for the class was to get his first deer mm -hmm. and to learn from Jeremiah different ways to, to process and to cook process game. to you know have that one-on-one -on -one processing where Jeremiah goes through, breaks down the entire animal, you know, and then takes everything off the bone and goes, you know what I mean? Just shows all the different, shows all the different cuts, shows what you can do, you know, mm -hmm. how to get, you know, this is this kind of steak. This is this kind of steak. This is what you can do with a rose. This is how you can, you know, cut this off and do a venison rack. This is how... This is what you can do, you know, in different ways to prepare it, packaging it all, labeling it all, and then teaching them hands-on, you know what I mean, on the grill, mm -hmm. how you can take something that a lot of people consider jerky and hamburger and how you can make it taste awesome. Yeah. It's different. You have to treat the meat differently, you know what I mean? But you treat it right 
and cook it right and it's well and that's un- the biggest unreal. thing that you know people I mean? don't understand so many people that have had wild game and, and it's just been terrible and a bad experience and it's gamey and funky and then you have wild game that's prepared correctly and it's like night and day yeah for better sure. than every other for piece sure. of you know red meat you've ever had yep and so it was cool it was cool everyone came everyone got everyone got deer half the group shot pigs half the group shot javelinas and everyone left with full coolers and great experiences a wealth of knowledge you know what i mean and what's the from cost they, on something like that from what they had had uh but so this hunt was we're plant the goal is to do some more and to do some other things like jerem we had taught we've talked about doing like a fishing one mm-hmm. um we've talked about doing a turkey hunt we talked about i've had some people message me and they'd be they want to go do like an exotic hunt in texas you mm-hmm. know what i mean and go shoot something different and then the whitetail so this one was um 3500 bucks mm-hmm. and everyone shot you know eight ten point whitetails and half the group shot hog had opportunities to shoot hogs half the group shot javelinas yeah um i filmed the whole event you know what i mean just an overview of everyone's hunts and so we're just about finished with you know like a 20 minute video where will that go up on youtube um yeah that'll probably go up on youtube and then everyone in the everyone in the class will get that Mm -hmm. and then i just finished uh hardcover photo books that have everyone's photos from the whole week as well as photos and recipes of all the different wild game meals how cool is that and so you know, just the full the full experience, you know what I mean? Yeah. To whatever you want to do. I had buddies who are just good friends of mine that were that just came. wanted to come do it. Yeah, they just wanted to come do it, you know what I mean? And they ended up loving the cooking aspect, but they just wanted to come hang out in the group environment and I had yeah. other other people come just for the cooking, you know what I mean? But they had an awesome overall experience and I had a a mom come and bring her son in college for his Christmas present. You know what I mean? She got him a deer hunt. And yeah. So and my dad came and How got cool. to do an awesome hunt with my dad. And he shot his biggest white tail ever. <laughs> you know, so it's, he's beyond it, excited. It was, it was, it was good. Everything about it. Yeah. was awesome. So I want to do more of that. That's what I, that's what I love. I love the teaching. Yep. I love you could always well, become a the, hunter's and, education dude, instructor. Dude, and the documenting. I love, <laughs> I love, I feel like I've hunted just about everywhere. Yeah. And what I love about hunting is, I mean, to me, it has, it has all of it for me. Like, I love the people and like yeah. being there and being a part of like the anticipation and the excitement and. I love the celebration and the camp camaraderie mm-hmm. and bringing my good friends together, you know what I mean? My super close friends from Texas with my other friends, you know what I mean? With my dad from Arizona, having him meet these other people and you know what I mean? Like bringing all my friends together, you know what I mean? That wouldn't meet otherwise. Yeah. And Well, it's like when everybody gets together for sheep show, dude. It's a exactly. reunion of everything. And so... That's what this was. It was just like bringing everyone together. Jeremiah was there, who's an unreal wild game cook. I mean, you give the guy anything, a ton of, you know what I mean, any kind of wild game meat, and he just 
it's magic. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for everyone to watch it happen, you know what I mean? Because I'm sure half the group was also, my dad was one of them. He was, he was like, I don't really like wild game that much. You know what I mean? And it's and then Jeremiah easy. prepares some meals. Yeah, and then Jeremiah makes something, and it's like, yeah, that was unreal. Yeah, you know what I mean? And so it's just showing people, teaching, curating all this content in an awesome environment. Everyone was successful. Everyone left with full coolers, knowledge. Soon they're going to get videos, photo mm-hmm. books, recipes. You know what I mean? So that's so cool. That's what I like. Yeah, group settings and so that's something I would like to do more of in the future yeah with I'd love to do one with you yeah. you know what I mean and just yeah. and if you guys a, ever set one be, up dude I'd be, be more than happy to we can set one up chip, chip in and, and help you know to whatever extent find a yeah I mean we could do whatever yeah I mean a hog hunt yeah an elk hunt you know what I mean obviously You could go wherever you wanted to go with this. You know what I mean? But it definitely, it is nice, though, when it's, there's almost like a hub where everyone can be it together. It helps when there's you know, a lodge and a whole Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Facility. So, so obviously, like. I mean, you could set you it could, up so and do it like wall tents. You could but do it, it like. Totally jacked. Fishing. Yeah. You could definitely make this kind of thing happen with fishing. A turkey camp. You can definitely make it. Mm-hmm. Whitetail camp, you can definitely make it. And I mean, there's definitely some mule deer and elk places, you know what I mean, where you could make something like this happen. But um, yeah, I mean, the possibilities are endless. But these kind of cultivating these event experiences yeah. with hunting, with wild game. Teaching. That's what I like. Teaching and passing along the yep. tradition. That's what I enjoy. So mm-hmm. that's what I would, that's one of my goals for the coming years is to just do these events with my friends yeah you know what i mean do some events with jeremiah yeah he's slammed i mean he's got his whole own set of classes and he's doing wild turkey he's a busy man this year i mean he's writing recipes for mossy oak and for traeger and he's writing his own cookbook right now you know what i mean he's crushing yeah yeah he's doing good so yeah i would like to do just events with my buddies yeah at cool places with cool people yeah having a good time right so. on man well i think we'll wrap it up there i i feel like that's a good segue i didn't even realize exit. we were podcasting for probably like 75 percent of that <laughs> good i just forget we'll just be talking and then i'll look down and see the mic and, get and then you'll be like oh, oh wait a minute there's a bubble there podcasting yeah that's the beauty of a i don't podcast. like to do the headsets this is the first time I haven't had a headset on, and I think it really changed the whole vibe. If you, you wouldn't have told me, I would have never known we start. Yeah, I would have like an out like. Some people long. hate it. When Forty I do minutes that. in, I'd have been like, "Dude, are you gonna hit record on that thing?" Yeah. Or <laughs> we just gonna keep talking about stuff, right? Right on, man. Well, dude, thanks for, you know. Thanks for coming out. Being down to... We shall see each other at the expo. Have a voice adventure. I know. That, uh, it's like such a love-hate thing with the yeah. expo. No, I'm really excited. Are, yeah, shows are... Yeah, shows are tough. I mean, no. they're awesome. But the thing is, for a lot of people, this is their one show of the year. Yeah. They don't go to all the shows. You yeah. know what I mean? So 
If I was going to do one show, the, you're the people you're gonna, the people you're going to see, you've already seen everyone. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Except so. for the ones that I haven't, because this is their <laughs> one show a year. True, that's yeah. true. Yeah, right but. on. Thanks for tuning into the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.